Unless you happen to live in a place where cash flow is great, which most of the students in our academy do not, that's part of why they come here to learn. Unless you live in a place like that, it's, it's almost impossible to actually build a real estate portfolio to scale. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals where we will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guests are Jen and Stacy Conkey. Jen and Stacy have over 20 years of real estate investing experience, and they teach people how to build wealth with multifamily real estate. They host the Remote Multifamily Investing Academy, and today we're digging into just a ton of lessons that they've learned through the process of investing for themselves remotely in multifamily and teaching others how to do the same. We're digging into a bunch of mistakes that they see people make. We're talking about how they select markets, their thoughts on physical due diligence on a market, how often they think you need to go there if you need to go there at all to evaluate a market. We talk about reasons why people fail in multifamily. Honestly, not everybody succeeds in this space. And we dig into the top five reasons why people fail to succeed, the five most common reasons people fail in the multifamily space and so much more. A lot of knowledge in this one, specifically for multifamily investors, my bread and butter, and I'm happy you're here joining us. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a multifamily and self-storage investor. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Once again, our guests today are Jen and Stacy Conkey. Let's go. Jen and Stacy, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we dive into talking about multifamily investing and what you've learned, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourselves, your background, and how you got started in the business? Sure. You want to start? Yeah, sure. So back in 2002, my brother showed up at my house, wanted to go to the store. The next thing I knew, he was talking about fix and flips. We were driving around for six hours, driving for dollars. And I was hooked <laughs> because I didn't know what fix and flips meant. I worked at Target Corporation in a an executive position there and didn't know anything about real estate. So I got really excited about it. And the next thing I know, I was flipping houses with him. And that's how I started back then. Yeah, for right. for me, it was I went to a I went to a Tony Robbins event back in 2003. And I think the main message I got out of there is that I was just on the wrong path. I was, you know, working my way up the corporate ladder in corporate America. And I just knew that there were I was meant to do something different, ended up coming across real estate investing shortly thereafter. And to me, it was so logical. Like the example someone gave was a four unit at the time. And I was like, oh, so you buy it once and you have four rents coming in. That is so logical to me. And so, and that's just, that's what prompted it from there. And that's how I got started. Great. And for the listeners out there, just so they can recognize your voices, can you give us your very, your, you know, your names so we can have a voice with a name here? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm Jen Conkey. And I'm Stacy Conkey. Awesome. Well, thank you for for doing that. So before we dig into the Remote Multifamily Investing Academy, can you tell us about your portfolios today, where you're investing and what you're focusing on? Sure, absolutely. You go ahead. All right. So over the course of time, we've been in, God, it might be tw- it might be 20 markets by now, but we have multiple markets we invest in. And you know, we're always looking for what makes sense based on what's going on in the economy, where's the opportunity. 
right now, our primary focus is in the Midwest. So we have investments in St. Louis and Indianapolis and not Cincinnati, Ohio, but a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. It's actually in Kentucky. And then we have a couple of bigger buildings down in Texas. So we're typically in the middle of the country because we found that the, the coasts, sometimes the prices make cash flow a little bit more challenging or difficult. So that's yeah. that's where we're at now. We have we have small multifamily. We have large multifamily. Our largest one was 419 units, but we sold that one. Now it's 305 units. So we have a large variety of stuff. We even we hold some smaller multifamily because as as instructors in, in the academy, we want to make sure that as we're leading and guiding people, that we have our finger on the pulse of what's happening right now, always. So we do both, but our bigger emphasis is on, you know, apartment buildings. The strategy that we're using right now is we're trying as hard as we can to stay and stabilize something that's already performing, but has some upside to it. And that's really our niche. Yeah. Great. Great. Okay. And before we dig into lessons that you've learned as multifamily thought leaders and investors and instructors, can you tell us about the remote multifamily investing academy, what you teach, who your typical students are, things like that? Oh, sure. So our journey is that when we first met, she was already doing apartments and had a course on apartments. And I was barely learning how to do like two to four units. So when we first started talking, she was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I thought, well, I always was feeling a little lonely and didn't feel like I had anybody to bounce ideas off of. And anytime I hit a challenge, I was like, ah. So we had this idea, instead of doing one-on-one, -on -one, let's do one-to-many. And we started talking about how that could how that could work. And that's how the, the academy was born. And so we decided we're going to build a community where we can teach them how they can get into multifamily and acquire their first apartment building or their first two to four unit property the way that we weren't taught. It was we yeah. really just brainstormed <laughs> all the things that we didn't feel like we understood or knew in the beginning. Yeah. And if we could create something that was like perfect for that new person to get started, what would it look like? And that's how we started to build the academy and the curriculum that's in it. But it's an A to Z format. One of, I'm just going to blow you up, but Stacey's, <laughs> her gift is that she can take a complex yeah. thing and break it down step by step in an A to Z format. So it's really easy for somebody who doesn't even understand the language, the lingo, or what anything means. Uh, but there's also this aspect of how to scale. So even if you've got something going on, like if you've been flipping single family homes or, or doing single family rentals, we know how to teach you how to scale because that's what we did. We started off joint venturing and then scaled our way into syndicating on, on different larger size apartment buildings. So that's really what's inside the academy. But the biggest piece is the network. You know, it's everybody that's in there doing it. That's what I feel like we created it for is the yeah. support system because I didn't have it. So that's why I, I wanted to create it. Nice, nice. I love that. And your network is key in real estate investing, no matter what asset class you're in and strategy that you're focusing on. So I'd like to dig a bit more into scaling and multifamily, particularly in light of the folks who are already doing real estate deals like flippers or single family investors and misconceptions that they have or things that they need to change about their strategy in order to scale, because I would presume that's what they need to do in order to scale. So let's dig into that. And in the light of, say, a flipper or a single family investor, what are some of the biggest lessons they need to learn in order to scale, particularly in multifamily? I think that probably the biggest misconception that we see with people who are, they've done some real estate, but they don't know how to take it to the next level is usually they're doing real estate locally where they live and feeling like they have to touch it, see it, feel it, be there in order to do real estate. 
And that makes a lot, that's very logical. It makes sense because growing up and even if we, you know, you bought your own house, the model is you jump in a car with a realtor, you go drive around looking at houses. And so everyone's very familiar with that. So when they go from being a consumer of real estate to being an investor, they will sometimes bring that model with them thinking they have to do that. And unless you happen to live in a place where cash flow is great, which most of the students in our academy do not, that's part of why they come here to learn. Unless you live in a place like that, it's it's almost impossible to actually build a real estate portfolio to scale. The other part of it, even if prices are okay, your time, yeah, your time. I would say that because I started with flipping and it, it became another job. And quite frankly, that's what I was trying to get away from. I wanted to leave the nine to five and build, you know, wealth. And, and then I realized very quickly that, oh, I just basically created a side job for myself that eventually could probably pay off, but I've got to put a lot of time into that. So I would just encourage people, you know, and then there was a lot of things that changed between 2008 all the way up until now with interest rates that are that are climbing. If you're flipping, one of the things that I learned the hard way was that as I'm flipping, I also have to have, have, to have a contingency and to look at that property or that asset in terms of, well, what would happen if things kind of hit the fan and I had to hold it? Would it still pencil out? So to to look at it from that perspective also so that you, you give yourself a little bit of a margin and an exit strategy in case something changes in the economic environment. So that's one of the biggest things that I learned. Great. Okay. So as far as the market selection and analysis and due diligence are concerned, for someone who's investing remotely, what do you recommend to find those markets, evaluate them? How often should they consider going there in person? Going in person is great, but yeah, you might not want to actually move there. So what is your recommended strategy, at least to start approaching that remote investing analysis of the market? Yeah, sure. No problem. So I think, you know, one, people just have to get to the point where they're like, you know what, I have to recognize there is a different way. And if I want more in life, I'm going to have to stretch myself outside the comfort zone to get out of that. But when and finding a market is the first is the exact first step. When we're teaching market analysis to our students or when we're doing a, a podcast or doing a training, there's three things we always tell them to look at when you're doing initial market research. One is, do the rents and the prices in the area fit within the 1% rule? A lot of people make the mistake of thinking the 1% rule is an actual analysis to buy deals. It is absolutely not. It never should be used for that. You have to look at the true income and expenses. But for the purpose of identifying whether our market actually makes sense to consider looking further into, you know, do the prices and the rents a line where it's more likely to cash flow. And if it meets the 1% rule, which I'm assuming most people know what it is, but in case they don't, it's like, uh, let's say something is, a property is $200,000. You wanna make sure that the rents are somewhere in the range of 2,000 a month, 1%, in order for it to have a higher likelihood of, of cash flowing. It's, you know, it, it doesn't always work. There's some markets where the 1% rule doesn't work at all. And there's other markets where it works even despite being lower than that. But that's the, always the first one because that'll get you out of like California <laughs> and probably Richmond, Virginia, right? Places that are going to be just too high priced. Right. So that's the first one. And then the other two things that we always look at are job growth and population growth. So we want to make sure that from a population standpoint, that it is not declining in population. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be the end, like it's going to be the end of the investment, but when you have fewer and fewer people and fewer and fewer jobs, they're, they're tied very closely, and you have the same number of units, you have more landlords or more units competing for fewer people. And when you're trying to do a long-term strategy, 
that doesn't align very well with being able to get top rents or market rents. So we always say at least be in a market where the population is steady, but ideally growing and same with same with job growth. A quick hack anytime, you know, we're trying to look at a different market too, is that um, there's some tools out there that can show you what migration patterns look like. So uh, one of the things that I like to do also is I like to go at um, it's USNBC and it's the top 10 states that are doing the best in business, top 10 business states. And then also look at the migration patterns from United Van Lines, even U-Haul. You can go and look at like what states are they leaving and what states are they going to? And does that coincide with the top 10 business states? And then really just line out, well, which of those states can I go look at? And then look at pockets within those MSAs and go expand out about 35, 50 miles and see if you can find markets in there that where the job job growth is up, population is up and dive in there versus just looking at the whole country and let me just throw a dart and pick a place and go look at it. That's one way to filter the data down so that you have a precise place to start looking in those areas. Great. So a lot of metrics that folks can look at getting started and narrow down their search, maybe select a few markets to dig into. How about that in-person market due diligence? When should they go to a city, tour some sub-markets and see you know, whether it really makes sense, boots on the ground wise, once they've looked at the metrics, looked at the rents versus property values, looked at the job and population growth, all those other things that you mentioned, there's still no substitute for being there in person. When should they implement an in-person tour market due diligence into their strategy? Well, this, this is this probably, probably going to shock everybody, but we've <laughs> never done that yeah, in we, 20 plus years. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we've really become masters at is is leading teams. So identifying the best possible team in a market and leading them through. One of the things that I have personally found for me when I'm, because I used to travel for training. I've never traveled to go to look for at or for real estate, but anytime we're, we're in a market and you're looking at things, you're filtering everything through whatever your experience are, whatever your positive or negative. And that might have absolutely nothing to do with how the real estate will perform. So in my opinion, going there can sometimes jade your view based on whatever baggage, it's not always baggage, it's not always negative, but whatever you're bringing with you, positive or negative, instead of just like, we are very much about data-driven decisions. We don't ever tell our students, you know, you must never go there, but we're like, look, let us show you a way that you can have true time freedom where you don't have to physically travel to the market. If we're looking at a, a much bigger deal then. We still don't, we have four kids and they homeschool and we're just, we're busy. So no matter what, we are always sending a team. And oftentimes the team that we hire, uh, the professionalism of them, they can see things through their lens that we're not going to see through ours because everything is, you know, it's, it's more subjective where they're like, this is what it is. So looking at the inspection or having the contractors giving quotes or having the property managers who literally live, sleep, breathe in that market their eyes and what they know and see are going to be tremendously higher as far as accuracy than what we would see coming from a totally different market and bringing whatever we're bringing with us that, that's been our history. <laughs> and plus, you know, with all the advances in technology, you, know, you, yeah. have, you have FaceTime, you have Duo, even if they have a, an Android and they aren't a cool iPhone user. <laughs> that you can, and there's Marco Polo. There's all these oh, yeah. these technical devices that we use in these programs that we use. That when that team is there, we still have eyes on the property. We don't have to go there. In fact, we just this last was it? It was August, just last month actually. Yeah, we were on an RV trip for two months, and we were near our 96 unit in Kentucky, 
and decided for the first time in history, let's go there. And it was such a BFD that we recorded it and posted it. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, because we're known for never going. And not only did we go, but we went inside. And that was, that was different. Because our team had already been there. We already felt like we knew the lay of the land yeah. once we arrived because we've seen all the videos. We've seen the walkthroughs. We've seen Marco Polo videos. We've seen FaceTime interactions. And we knew what to expect. So when we got there, it didn't really feel any different because we felt like we had already been there. So I think that a lot of folks feel that if I go there and I can feel it, touch it, sniff it, smell it, taste it, do all those things. But, you know, you might go there and think it's, oh, this is a really cool vibe. This is a really cool downtown yeah. area. This is a really cool Starbucks. I love what how everybody dresses here. The seasons are great. But then you go to pencil it out and you're like, but the numbers don't work. But, oh, my God, I love the area and I just really want to own something there. And, you know, the fact is we all make decisions based on emotions. That's where we're naturally drawn. But when you pull yourself and you have that distance, Stacy's right, you look at the numbers, if they don't pencil out, you're going to be less inclined to be emotionally attached to the experience you had while you were there. So I say go there after you've already acquired something. And we go deep in a market, but only after we've tested it. So acquiring an asset that's smaller in scope, making sure it performs and that everything pans out before going deep into that market. That's our strategy. Great. Okay. So teams being key to this success... When you're first getting started in a market, maybe you don't have a track record in that area. How do you look at getting that team, at least the initial members, invested in your success to the point where they're willing to help you or they believe you're going to acquire a property and it's in their best interest to work with you? How do you build that relationship so that they want to help you out with that first acquisition because they are, you know, see some benefit to themselves? Yeah. I'm going to quick answer and then you go ahead. But I feel like that everybody is motivated by the same thing and we all want to make money, right? So that's the first thing. I'll just put that out there, that knowing that that to be true and then being able to prove the, the history of closing on properties and, and going into a market and then building a relationship. It's about, all about the relationships that we build inside of it. I'll let you go ahead and go. But the key factor is that we're all motivated by money and growing well together. And when we realize each other's role in that and how we have a, a system repeatable, if that's even a word. I don't know. Repeatable. Repeatable. <laughs> system. You know, and, and that we can work together to do it. They're usually, their ears are open, especially once mm -hmm. they realize that you are a performer and you do close, they're going to bring you deals. Yeah, and I, I think Taylor, and we don't obviously know all of your, your audience, but let's say that you have some people in your audience who are already experienced. They're not going to have any problem creating credibility, right? Because they've already closed on stuff. So I'm going to speak to the other part of your audience who might be the newer investors, because that is a really big, like, that's my thing. I'm all about like, let me help you get your first one, but you have to sound like you know what you're doing. So like when we're working with our, our students and they're trying to buy their first 20 or 30 unit apartment building or 10 unit apartment building, whatever it is, one of the things that they have to learn to do is speak as if. So like specifically when, because they, they'll ask the question, they'll go to a market and they're worried about, well, what are they going to think? So I always say, when you're going in, tell them I'm new in this market or we are new in this market. The use of we really opens things up because when they're really new and they have mindset issues about, oh, people aren't going to take me seriously. I'm like, look, let us be the other part of we. They don't know. It doesn't make any difference. So you, this is a new market for us, but we've been buying multifamily for 20 years in these different markets. So we educate and prepare them to have those conversations and then practice over and over and over. Once they can close on their first deal, 
and part of the reason we always tell people like, look, don't, you don't have to shoot for the moon. You don't have to get a hundred units as your first deal. Like close on something because not only is your confidence going to go through the roof because that closing that first deal, you remember closing your first deal? You were like, oh my gosh, everything finally came together. It's this amazing thing that happens. You close, you have confidence and you also have credibility with the realtors or the brokers, the lenders, your potential JV partners, because people realize you can do it. But there's a huge subset of people who want to get into real estate and they haven't yet. And I just want to encourage people, don't let that stop you. Use the word we when you're talking to people and just know if you're really afraid of establishing credibility when you're talking to people, call realtors and brokers in a market that you're not planning on investing in and practice there. Have a conversation there. I mean, sometimes you end up finding a deal you weren't expecting to, but that is the bonus. Yeah, but cut your cut your teeth there. And then if you have experience, like Jen said, you just talk about your experience that you're a closer. But if not, that's okay. You're going to have a conversation. Use we, but just get out there and, and do the scary thing because it will come. Great. So I've been in this space for a few years and now myself, we've closed a number of deals. And one of the things that I've learned in multifamily is that not everybody's going to be successful. Some people fail. I've seen so many people who were incredibly motivated, or at least like to talk on social media about how motivated they were, come and go over the years and move on to something else or quit real estate entirely. It just happens. People fail. It's just natural. In your observation, what are the top reasons that people don't succeed? Or another way to phrase it, what are the reasons that people right. fail in multifamily? Because it does happen. It's not 100%, right? Yeah, I think that there's five reasons ultimately. And the first one is that they have the wrong motivation. So they might have a goal that's a little bit unrealistic or it's outside of what their resources are capable of, or it's just so big, but they haven't really done the work or got the reps in. Um, they have this big goal, but the internal, the internal goal, the intrinsic motivation, they haven't identified why they must go do this. And that's nine times out of 10 why everybody usually either gives up or quits. They don't have those compelling reasons. The, the second reason is the wrong motivation. And this is why I think people fail because the wrong motivation is they're going in and they want to get rich quick overnight. They want to get into those bigger buildings because they expect a bigger paycheck. And with that type of expectation, when they go for it, sometimes they, I've seen people put a large EMD down and only to lose it because they couldn't raise the funds or lending backed out and they didn't have contingencies and they didn't think about all of those steps that they needed to take because they were new. And their expectation was that they would just jump in and go for it, sort of like a fire ready aim strategy. But you got to definitely aim and you have to have a strategy before you pull that trigger. And I think that that's where most people get caught up. And, and then what happens next is if they have that wrong expectation, then they also, they might have a lack of time to begin with, but they're not going to devote the amount of time that's needed. And they're just going to skim and they're going to, mm. because they're going to skim and they're going to go for it, they're going to overlook all those little details that add up to freaking two comma mistakes when you play big. And that's the biggest problem is that if you if you have a lack of time already and you think that you can just go after this, if you're not able to spend 10 to 15 hours a week doing this at least, then you know, you're know you gonna you're not gonna get uh, a very good strategy. You're not gonna go deep enough. The other one is that, um, so they've got, what did I say so far? Wrong motivation, wrong expectations, and then lack of time. They also will have a lack of support, some people mm -hmm. in their family or even their spouse. You know, Stacy and I are very blessed that we do it together. But sometimes family members think you're cuckoo. You're cuckoo kachu. Why, why, why did you go get that college degree, Jen? You have your MBA. What are you doing? Why aren't you out there doing that? And for me, I fought that battle for a long time. And I know that a lot of people do. They have a lack of support. So they, they feel like 
they're alone and, or sometimes they don't and they still go for it. But that lack of support is eating at the back of them and they make critical mistakes because they're trying to prove themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like all of those reasons when they're looking through that, they're like, oh man, I didn't expect for this to work out this way. And then they end up either quitting or they make a horrible mistake because they were going too fast. Yeah. Wow. Makes a lot of sense. I think that's huge on the skin. I don't think I've ever heard you say it that way before about when skimming. the skimming of things. And it's not that, because I know that a lot of your listeners are not trying to add, add a whole bunch of time. And, and I absolutely get that. When it comes to learning a new business or scaling and going into a next level, there needs to be some amount of investment time. Like when we're le learning something new, we're like, okay, cool. Weekends, we're going to put a couple hours in on the weekend just so we can keep leveling up. But once you've closed on the property and it's stabilized, there's not, it doesn't take a lot of time because you're just, you know, <laughs> reviewing your reports once a month or, you know, talking with your property managers. But in that initial phase, it is important to spend mm -hmm. the time to make sure that you really understand what you're doing and that you can do a complete yeah. deep dive and due diligence. Yeah, because there's four phases to mastering this. And mastery takes, it's almost like it's 4.8 years when you think about this. <laughs> it's 10,000 hours, right? And, and if you're assuming that you're doing this 40 hours a week, that would be 4.8 years, almost five years to master this. And some people will come in and try to go straight for that largest building that they could possibly get, but they've never even managed a duplex or a single family and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what questions to ask. So it's like they have an unconscious incompetence is the first thing. Like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what to ask. They don't know where to go. And then, then God forbid, they get a conscious incompetence level. And now they, they know that they don't know right? But they don't know what they don't know. But now they know enough to try and still go for it. And that's when they're really dangerous. So that's the phase where people are usually either giving up or they're making tremendous mistakes that are very costly. And I think that that's what we usually see. Wow. Great lessons there. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right. I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Great. First one, what is the best deal you've ever done or the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I think for us, our best investment that we ever made was that we joined, we've always been a proponent of joining networks and, and growing our network. There have been multiple times in different networks or masterminds that we've enrolled into where uh, we're with our peers and we've, we've encountered challenges. One of the biggest ones that comes to mind for us or for me is that we got ourselves into a situation years back where a lender called the note due on a property. And ultimately, if we didn't deal with it, a multi-million dollar portfolio was at risk. And so, but because we had proximity to other investors in our network, I had talked to the lender, I talked to the bank about, hey, if I get an offer on this, can you extend it? They said, no, you're, you know, your, your note, it's due in full in 30 days or in seven days, seven <laughs> days, by the way. Because we I changed said, the scope of work. Yeah, we changed the scope the of work. It was the stupidest thing. It was the lamest thing. Yeah. And then so I, I said, well, you know, if I get an offer, because it's listed right now, it's listed. And if I get an offer on it, can I please sell it? Like, can I need to get rid of it? And they said, yes, you have 30 days. If you get an offer, it has to close within 30 days. And I said, okay, perfect. First thing I did was get off the phone and go to the network and find out who in the hell would be willing to make an offer on this for me to buy me time, right? And so access to that network and that individual. So they made the offer, we locked it up. And for that 30 day period, all I did was ask Stacy, hey, go find us some, some way to, to wrap everything together and pull out of this so that we can make it through. And that's what we ended up being able to do. And then another, that literally saved at least $2 million. Yeah. Then another example was I was going to go after a deal and I backed out of it because I didn't understand that particular 
thing that came to seller financing on that deal. He owned an LLC and I was I going to buy into this LLC? There was a whole thing that I didn't understand. But back then, talking to somebody in the network was like, here's what you need to do. You ask this question, ask these questions. And I fired off all these questions to go to this person to go figure out, is this still a sound investment? And ended up negotiating things on my terms based on what that person in my network had, had explained. And that was like a $10 million asset. So that was also, it was a game, game-changing thing that happened for me. And it was all because of proximity. And to me, proximity to people that are doing what you're doing and or have been doing it longer, that's power. Proximity to those people is power. So I would have to say that that was the best investment ever. It's just always being in a network where I'm leveling up. We are leveling up. Nice, nice. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the very specific answers to that question. I love specificity. So we had the best. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst. What is the worst deal you've ever done or the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> I'm going to go with that one again. I'm the visionist and the visionist, the vision and strategist for us. And, you know, when things are going really well, sometimes you step outside of your blueprint. And in 2021, decided that we wanted to try a motel. And just for context, one of our highest and most important values is our time and location freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our business partners got a hotel under contract, approached us, and I was like, oh my God, that would be so fun. And, um, you know, based on TV shows Strike about- one. Yeah, <laughs> right, that'll be so fun. And uh, yeah, it's not. So we bought a motel, we invested in a motel, it's the Stardust in Wallace, in Wallace, Idaho. And we learned a lot. Here's what we learned. We learned that it is not, in fact, an investment that is within our normal footprint because it's actually a business. It requires a staff. It requires us to, to go in there and assess that staff and determine ways that we can increase profitability. And it, the first year was all about rehabbing both buildings because it's 42 keys. We had to shut one down, rehab it while the other one was operating, then swap, then rehab this one. It was a whole thing. And then on top of it, there's weather to be considered because it snows and seasonality of everything. It was a whole different business that we didn't understand. I don't regret it, but it was not the most sound investment that I ever made. However, now that we have it and we suffered through that, it does cash flow very well. And it, it helps us build memories. Like we went there with our kids and we're, it's going to be in the family for a long time. But it was an emotional investment and instead of, it was the first time that I've ever not just went with data. And it was based on a TV show that Shit's Creek that I thought was hilarious. And it'd be so fun. We can do that. And <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that was it for us. But I don't regret it. It just wasn't the most sound decision. It's, you know, because we, we normally in, in multifamily, we're accustomed to being able to leverage third party professionals. Everybody we deal with in our life are other business owners. So it's really different to go to a small town that had what, 850 people. And, and now we're talking about hiring staff and the level of staff in a small town versus dealing with professional property manager, professional inspectors, professional everything, wildly different. And it just didn't really occur to, it didn't really occur to us until we were if in it. It'll be fun. Just tell me. I mean, just ask me. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a good lesson. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Gosh, there's been, there's been so, so, so many. I think the obvious one is just is always making sure you're doing your complete due diligence. That seems like such a, like everyone would say that. For us, really, it's been, well, it kind of piggybacks off of Jen's first response, but for us, it has been connecting with a network, like, Who's in our network that can help to 
got us through a situation or to elevate our goals, that's been a huge one. Getting around people who are doing business at a higher level than you, it makes you stretch because one, you're like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the loser in the room that's doing the the less amount of stuff. And so getting around people who are doing more than you, doing a higher level than you, inspires you. And sometimes you'll get the courage to take that next step that you might not take otherwise. So, you know, due diligence from an actual physical real estate standpoint is the absolute highest lesson. Outside of the technicals of real estate is who are you surrounding yourself with and continuing to level yourself up. And it's always uncomfortable. Every time we we level up, because we joined the Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership last year. That was a scary investment to make because it was it was more than we had ever put into anything. And it was a very big leap. But wow, the amount of leveling up we've done, like emotionally, mentally, and in business has been nothing I've ever seen. It has 10x our net worth. Yeah. And it's not like a specific person. It's like seeing everyone else playing at a much higher level and us stepping up. And then just like the connections that we're able to make because of it. So that's, we've always done it, but I think this last couple of years is we've really truly seen what an impact it's made on us in forcing us to grow because we, we don't want to be the one, the only people like not growing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. due diligence and putting yourself around people who are, who are going to push you just because they're doing amazing things. That's a really great lesson. That's something that I've really continued to and tried to implement in my own life, whether that's folks in real estate that are above where I am and have gotten to somewhere that I want to be, or just people in business. I took a really nice luxury vacation in Hawaii recently. And one of the connections that I made was with a gentleman who owns a large car dealership. And who knows if that'll actually go anywhere, but still the experience of having a conversation with someone who's at that level and has achieved a pretty significant amount of success in business. It's just very inspiring to come home and just want to work at that level and get to a level like where that gentleman has gotten in his business. So yeah, yeah. very important lesson. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. If folks want to reach out, get in touch or learn more about what you're up to, where can they track you down? The best way to, to get a hold of us or be a part of our what do you call our it? Our ecosystem. Ecosystem <laughs> is to just, we have a Facebook group where we give a lot of knowledge and we pour our heart out in there with weekly trainings. The name of the Facebook group is Apartment Investing with Jen and Stacy. That's probably the best place to find us. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.